0: Okay, let's have a seat, everybody. Good morning to you. One more time, good morning to you. So good to see you all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is without error. It is holy, it's helpful, it's life-changing. And the Spirit of God is who makes it come alive. So Lord, take us in our weakness and our frailty. And bring new life and strength today in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. amen. Uh, open your Bibles to Daniel. Maybe a little tough to find Daniel. Go to Ezekiel and go a little further right. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles we'd love to give you out in the welcome desk. And we're going back to a mini series we started a couple weeks ago on spiritual authority. This understanding changed my family's dynamics. It's been five decades ago. It took anger, criticism, a rebellion out of our family, and brought a working together and a peace and an appreciation like nothing else. And so we're going to study this issue of authority. And I'll go back a little bit and give a little background uh, but what we're going to talk about today is when authority asks you to do wrong. You have an 18-year-old friend at a local high school, and he's a Christian young man. He feels called to the mission field, and he plans to join a mission agency early in the spring next year. The only problem his parents who are not christians are dead set against it how would you counsel him another scenario young christian girl is in love she's 20 and she's in love with a young man who seems to have high character and good standards and good work ethic and she wants to marry this young man but he is a nominal christian at best he doesn't understand the kingdom of god and mom and dad are have a caution or a check about saying sweetheart please marry this guy what do you do you're at work And your supervisor asks you to start a new project, but he asks you to do things without integrity, He asks you to fudge the numbers, he's asking you to pad the books to make this operation look a lot better, and he's actually threatened you that if you do not do what he asks you to do, that he's going to fire you and ruin your name. What do you do? Well, today we want to talk about that because all of us are going to be placed in difficult circumstances and the young man Daniel who had been kidnapped with thousands of other Jews from Israel and taken to Babylon as slaves and servants, he is faced with his three Hebrew friends with a very tough dilemma. And you think you have things tough? Read this with me, okay? I'm out of... uh, English Standard Version, Daniel chapter 1, verse number 9. Everybody got your Bibles? Let's see. if you got your Bibles? Somewhere, somewhere. Excellent. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, this could have been pork and no Jewish young man would eat pork or it could have been other kinds of food that were offered in sacrifices to these Babylonian gods. Even the wine could have been offered as a drink offering to Babylonian gods. And he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to do this, not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. Everyone say favor. And compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel... Oh, you're getting me in trouble. I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see during this period of time that your condition goes way down compared with the other two or 300 youths of the same age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here's what I'm going to ask to do. I'm making an appeal. Test the servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables, or it could be let us be given onion rings and cheeseburgers. No. Vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our parents and the parents of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you. And then deal with your servants according to what you see. So this official listened to them in the matter and granted them ten days. At the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better, everyone say better, better in appearance fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, (coughs) God gave them. Now, God always writes the last chapter. When it looks really bad today, (coughs) get God involved. And he could make it completely different in a short time. And the four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all the literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar might have been the greatest king who ever lived. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them there was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, look at this. He found they were a little better. Is that what it says? They were ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters, and all that was in the kingdom and Daniel served a long time up until the first year of the reign of Cyrus the great now i just want to give you a quick review of what we talked about i guess 3 and 2 weeks ago about biblical authority all of us everyone say all of us are under authority Whether you realize it or not, you today are under somebody's authority because authority is God's idea. Chapter 13, verse 1 starts off with this. Let every person, and every person means? Every Every person be subject to the governing authorities. That is God's heart for us. Now, I suggest if you don't take notes normally, you should take notes today. Because you're probably going to be put in one of these difficult situations and you're going to go, now, what, what were they talking about? What, what should I do when I get this pressure from my boss or my family members? Next, the scripture says he establishes all authority. Say this first with me, please. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Now you say, well, Steve, that just seems outlandish. Well, it does. When you think about all the dictators and the cruel rulers and the people that murdered millions of people, and I added this little sidebar here. Sometimes when God sees his people are unholy and rebellious, he will give them what they deserve, a wicked ruler. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, Steve, are all if it, does this mean that God is pleased with all elections? And I, I said, absolutely not. I wouldn't doubt if he's not displeased with most elections. Christians do not vote. Christians do not run for office. Christians do not get on school boards. Christians set out all the things that wicked people sometimes get involved in, and we get in this horrible place we're in, then we want to blame God. God's looking to us to represent Him well in the marketplace in every place. Now, I pointed out several weeks ago that there are four forms of authority, and all of us have been under all of these. No matter where you live, we have all of these we're under. And the scripture points out that Paul wrote, since God placed these authorities over you, if you resist that authority, you may find yourself actually fighting against God. Here you are, a prized quarterback on a high school team, and you cannot stand a coach. And you complain about him, you whine about him, and you actually do everything to undermine him, And you actually choose to quit the team when God may be the very one that placed him there. Because he knew you had to have attitude changes if you were going to be successful. And he gave you a very difficult man to be over you. So here are the four. The first one is family. Everyone say family. And then we have church. Everyone say church. Then we have government. Say that please. And then we have employment. So there's always somebody over us. And that's not a bad thing. Paul goes on to say they are ministers of God. Say that, please. They are ministers of God and actually ministers of good for us. Sometimes it's hard to see the good, but we have to trust the good is there. Now, this might be the most important thing I want to share with you to understand this issue of biblical authority. If there's no authority, if there's no structure, you end up with chaos. Chaos, chaos. And I want to say chaos everywhere. If there's not structure and biblical authority in a church, you have a chaos. If there's not authority and structure in a marriage, you have chaos. If there's not uh, structure and authority In a home, you end up with children who never learn to grow up and be responsible. It's the same way with any company. The best companies are the companies that have structure and the companies that have authority. They're the ones that make money. Now, point number three. Paul pointed out to us that the key to obeying authority is we have to do it as unto the Lord, which means we do it for Christ's sake. We are believers. And my attitude in my home, my attitude at work, my attitude at school, I ought to have the best attitude of anybody because I love Jesus. And here we see Joseph in the prison of Egypt And for 17 years, he's the most arrogant guy on the face of the earth. I mean, he has these dreams and he interprets these dreams and he tells his 12 brothers and he tells his mom and dad, hey, the Lord spoke to me and guess what? All of you are going to be serving me one day. Isn't that great? And mom and dad, I saw you in a dream. Mom was the moon and dad was the sun and my brothers were all these stars and all of you were bowing down to me. Isn't that great? Uh, they didn't think so. That's how, you, that's how you get on a slow train to Egypt. So, to get the arrogance out of the gifted young man, God had to put him under pressure, which is an Egyptian prison, for 13 years. And he learned to be a servant instead of being a ruler. Well, Steve, what's the key? I want to learn to separate two things. The personality of my boss or my husband or my parents from the position God put them in. I want to honor the position even when it's hard to respond to the personality. Does that make sense? Now, are you, are you still here? Did any of you run away? Are you still here? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. So God has a plan through authority. And often God uses authority to put pressure on us because the pressure is what actually shapes us into the image of Christ. And he wants to use the authority over us to guide us. Now, here's the strangest thing. I learned this in my early 20s. And I'd always been rebellious toward my parents. My dad was a hard, tough guy. And my brother and I always bristled under his leadership. And when my brother and I learned this, that God gave gave us that man and gave us that woman to raise us, despite their faults, my job was to honor them. My job was to respect them. And it's interesting, over the next five or six years until my dad died, until my mother died, when I would go to my parents in their 50s and 60s and say, I'm thinking about buying a house. I'm thinking about starting a business. I'm thinking about marrying this person. I'm thinking about doing this in ministry. They never led me wrong one time. As I told you, I came to this church because my dad told me, Steve, it's time to get out of that denomination and serve Jesus some other place. And he loved this church and he loved you guys. That helped me, my dad's counsel. I want to say this to you teenagers and even people in college and you middle schoolers. Three times... How many times? My father, specifically, when I asked for his counsel and advice, I purposely went against what he told me just to test God and to see if this worked. All three times, I made huge mistakes. And this is a relationship that brought our family together. Authority is there to protect us. And authority is there to discipline you. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, Our fathers disciplined us for our good, but our heavenly fathers still disciplines us for our good. And the scripture says, Everybody the father love; he will discipline you, all your life. And that's good. I'd rather be disciplined by my heavenly Father and those in authority over me than to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I want to ask you, will you let God and will you let others speak into your life and bring you discipline? If you're willing to do that, hold your hand up. Excellent. I remember I was doing youth ministry in South Carolina as a volunteer, and I had a partner. He was a high school basketball and baseball coach, and we would played sports together for many years. I did the teaching. He did, Hal did all the fun things and we got parents to help us. It was a wonderful ministry. And one day, Hal said, I need to talk to you. I said, great, let's talk. So I sat in his pickup truck and he turned and looked at me and said, I need to tell you something. You are really good with two groups of people. I'm starting to feel good about myself. You're really good with lost people. Lost people know that you love them You're good at sharing the gospel. They know you care. They receive Christ. You really have a sweet spot and a gift for that. And then he said, you're good with another group. You're good with people that really are sold out to Jesus and love him 100%. You're great with those people. You just stink with everybody else. (laughs) The 80% in the middle, you're horrible with and you got to change. You burn people. You are self-righteous. You are caustic and you roll your eyes if someone's not on fire for Jesus and you expect everybody to be where you are and to be as committed as you are and Steve, it's never going to happen and you're hurting the work because of your stupid attitude. Will you change? That was hurtful, but I needed to be disciplined and hear that now the lord jesus in capernaum where his headquarters was for three years he's entering this small fishing village and there's a roman garrison there and this centurion which means he's got a hundred soldiers underneath him he could be from germany could be from france could be from italy he's not a jew and he's not from israel And so this centurion comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you help me? My favorite servant who just keeps everything working like clockwork that I love with all my heart, he's on his deathbed. And he's not going to live for very long. And Jesus just said, I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. And the centurion said this, you don't have to come to my house. I know who you are. I am a man under the authority of others. And I have people under me. If I say to this one, go. I say to this one, come. They just obey me. And I understand how things work in this kingdom. All you have to do is say the word. And my servant is healed. And that's what Jesus did. Are you under authority? Do you listen to people? Above you are you rebellious? Do you argue? Can do people look at you and go, There's no need for me to tell him anything? He's not gonna listen. Your wife can't even speak into your life. Well, how would I know if I'm under authority? The respect you show people. Your attitude around people. The fact that you're willing to help people shows if you're a man or a woman under authority. And when Jesus heard the professional military guy's response, he turned to his Jewish boys and said, Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I've never seen an Israelite in the whole nation that understands what this man does. And he doesn't even have the scriptures. See, God wants us to make sure we always show respect to people above us, to people under us, and people beside us. And we give honor, Paul said, to who honor is due. Now, here's the punchline. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm sorry, are you ready? Why, Steve? Why show respect? Why show honor? Because nothing works without it. Your marriage is not going to work. Your family is not going to work. Your company is not going to work. Your ministry is not going to work until you do this. And it's up to you to do it. You lead by example. And everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants to be helped. But you will never get it until you give it. here's a a most unbelievable example. Saul, the first king, has fallen away from the Lord. He had everything going for him, made horrible choices, and his heart got corrupted. Samuel, the prophet, anointed the next king, this young shepherd boy, David, and yet Saul tried to kill him for 10 years. He hunted him with like SEAL teams up to like 3,000 crack troops for months at a time, hunted him through the desert, hunted him through the caves, hunted him everywhere he could, and David eluded him for 10 years, 10 horrible years. One day, Saul comes to a cave because it's hot, and he goes in that cave to rest. He takes his robe off. He's by himself. And he does not know. That cave goes back three miles. And David and a hundred of the baddest boys on the planet are back in the darkness and they watch this. And David's select men say, This is God. Let's kill him. Just wave a finger. He won't, he won't never see another breath. Tell us, let us go kill him. And David says, No. And David does something. In the darkness, he pulls out his dagger, he creeps to where Saul has laid down his magnificent robe, and he cuts off a strip of three inches. And Saul picks it up, doesn't even know it, and he walks out, and David is heartbroken. And he says, he follows him out and says, I am so brokenhearted because of my attitude. I've told that I have to respect you and honor you, and that I should never lay my hand against the Lord's anointed, and I've disrespected you by cutting your garment. And I'm so Sorry. Would you forgive me? David was called a a man after God's own heart. Do you know why? He was a man of honor. And God will never promote you if you don't learn to give respect and give honor even to difficult people you see, those two things are the cornerstone of a marriage, a family, a business, a nation. And the challenge is, it's easy to honor people that are good to us. But the litmus test is people that are horrible and wicked this is emperor nero the guy w- filled with the most demons that tr- almost destroyed the roman empire murdered more people and had peter killed and had the apostle paul killed and paul said he is my litmus test now this is not in your notes <laughs> I want to teach you to appeal to authority because if you just react in the flesh in your marriage, at your work, in your ministry, because you never learned to appeal, you may blow that thing to pieces when God wanted it to be a blessing to you. You say, well, Steve, okay, so what do I do? When I'm asked to do wrong, how do I appeal to those in authority? Let's choose seven steps. And I'm going to go through them as quick as I can. The first one is the most important one. You have to check your attitude. See, everything is attitude. Is it easy to see what we're really like? It is not. It's hard to look in the mirror and see, well, you know what? I'm just independent all the time, I'll never listen to anybody. God doesn't like that. Or I'm lazy. And the reason my boss is getting on me, because I have a poor work ethic. I'm always late. I don't finish my jobs. Or I'm self-righteous. Remember that young 18-year-old wanted to be a missionary? His parents were not a Christian. But you know what his parents picked up? That this 18-year-old, a Christian who loved Jesus, was the most self-righteous young man they had ever met. He was so judgmental. He was so critical. And they thought... Man, if he's this bad now, what's he going to be like when he's in the ministry? God has to take all that self-righteousness out of him or he will be a failure. Or you're resistant. Your first impulse is just to resist. Or you're bitter over what happened or you have a critical tongue. You just, anything that comes out of your mouth towards your husband, you're just critical. You're always critical to your parents, always running down your boss at work. Is it easy? No, it's not. Maybe you're ungrateful. Maybe your heart is bad, or maybe you're just arrogant. It's easy because we go around pointing people's specs out in their eyes what they're not doing right when we don't even realize I got a two by four 12 foot board sticking out of my eye and I can't even see it. Well here's what the Lord will do with authority. How big a hammer do you need on your head? And if you won't listen and you you you. Keep not listening, he will get a bigger hammer and a bigger hammer and a bigger hammer, and it will get harder and more unpleasant, all because you think you have it all together. I'll give you a couple examples. Before I moved to Kentucky, I worked for a newspaper. It was a pretty substantial newspaper, we had 150, 200 employees. One day I was called to come into the publisher's office. He was over 10 newspapers. They were firing people right and left. I really needed my job. I was doing ministry nights and weekends. called me into his office. I didn't know what he wanted me for. He said, Steve, I want to move you from being sales manager over circulation. We were in parts of three states. I want to put you on the retail advertising team because I think you can build that up. We can give you some territory and you can help us with our bottom line. And you know what I was thinking? Oh, no. I know how hard they work. I know they don't get back to their desk till 6.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30 and 8. And I'm running three different ministries and I'm newly married. I don't want to do that. But when he said, would you like to do that? I went, I would love to do that. I was just hoping I could get into advertising. That was my joy. Another time he called me into his office. I had no idea what he was going to tell me. He said, Steve, you know, United Way in this county is very important and we need a representative to the United Way Countywide Board. And we were talking in a leadership team and we all agreed you'd be the best to be on the United Way leadership team so you can go to these meetings and raise money in our, our business and do all this. I had just rebuked my first grade teaching wife for giving $10. And the Lord knew... I needed a whipping, so he put me on the United Way board. And when he asked me, would you like to do that? I, went, I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> so when you realize your attitude is bad, you got to clear your conscience. Everyone say, clear your conscience. What does that mean? you got to make it right. Make it right with who? Make it right with God First. And then the people you have demeaned, the people you've run over, the people you embarrassed, you need to go to them and say, you know what, I was really cruel to you and I should not have been that way and I want, I want you to ask, can I ask you to forgive me? Because I'm going to work hard to never treat you that way. And then you got to correct your attitude. You can't just apologize and keep doing The same stupid stuff. Then I would suggest you find out what your boss's wishes are. Sometimes I see people getting divorced and their wife only wants one thing. And they're separated. And he doesn't even know what the one thing is. Just do one thing. That's all you need. In this case, my boss wanted two things. He wanted me to go to retail. And I went, yes, sir, I'd love to go to retail. And he wanted me to sit sit on a United Way committee. And I went, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Let me be on the United Way committee. C, learn deference. Everyone say deference. Maybe you've never heard that word. It's a powerful Christian word. What does it mean? It means I'm going to limit my freedom in order to help you. Paul said, you know, all you guys in Corinth, you go to these marketplaces and you can buy the best cuts of meat, but it's been offered to demons. And then you take it to the church potluck and you freak everybody out. Maybe you can eat it. It's okay for you. But you may mess somebody else's life up. So if I'm going to mess somebody else's life, I'm not going to do it. I told you guys weeks ago, The Lord asked me to give up drinking alcohol. One is because I had an addictive personality and I was working with young people. And if I was going to mess people's life up, maybe I could do it, but I'd mess their life up. I wasn't going to do it anymore. I choose to submit myself and humble myself so my wife can get what she needs. That's deference. D, ask for forgiveness. And E, you may need to make restitution. You owe $500, you promised you would pay the $500. It's been two years, you never have paid the $500. Make the restitution. Three, discern the basic intentions of your authority. This is a picture of Susa, the capital of Persia at the time. You got to discover their goals. So Daniel is trying to discover their goals. Here's the goals. There's two, three, four hundred captive young men that are going to be servants in the empire and they must fit this criteria. And these officials, it's their job to get them in shape physically, learn the language, learn the customs, dress the right way. And so the chief of the eunuchs said, you know what? You kind of put me in a bad place because the king has told me you got to eat this, this, this. You got to drink this, this, this. And if you guys don't do it and you rebel, there's going to be a group of guys take me behind the barn. And with a big old axe, they're going to give me a haircut that's 12 inches deep. Asking those in authority over you, can you tell me what I'm missing? What are my blind spots? How am I rubbing people the wrong way in the company? And at the same time, you're praying saying, Lord, I want to be the best servant. I, I need this job. I want to be an addition, not a subtraction. So help me. And design the creative alternative. The creative alternative that God gave Daniel. He said, okay, okay, let's do this. Give me 10 days. Let us eat just vegetables. And let us eat water. Test us at the end of 10 days compared to the other 400. If we don't measure up, we will eat what you've given us to eat. That way you remove a resistant spirit. If you go to those in authority and you're still bristling, it ain't going to work. You have to stop resisting. And it's not a bad idea to put your feet in your authority's shoes to see how they feel. Then you make your appeal. You lay out your case. Who is this right here? This is Queen Esther. And when I say make your appeal, do it in person. None of this stupid text business. None of this Facebook. None of this email. None of this letter. Don't you even dare call them. You call them and make an appointment. You go to their office. You sit down with them. Now here... Esther is in a real jam because stuff has happened in the empire that in about a month every Jew in 27 provinces of Persia will be executed. And the king Ahasuerus doesn't even know his own beautiful wife is a Jew. And her cousin who has raised her, Mordecai, says... Honey, God put you in this position for such a time as this to save us. Well, I'm afraid because I cannot go to the throne room without being called. If I go to the throne room without being called, the law in effect is whoever enters the throne room without being called is executed immediately. If he doesn't hold out his his... Scepter, I'll be dead. And Mordecai says, if you don't go, you're going to be dead anyway. And all of us. And she said, I'll do it. And if I die, I die. And God used her. Here is Nehemiah talking to another Persian king. Artaxerxes I, say that difficult name, please. Artaxerxes I. To rebuild Jerusalem, he fasts three days. He makes sure he has his appeal. He's got it down. He makes the appeal. It touches a king's heart. And we he rebuilds Jerusalem. Without that, there never would have been a Jewish people. Here's another example. David and his men have protected this estate of Nabal for... Maybe two years. Not charged them a cent. Big festival. David sends emissaries. Can you give us some food? Can you give us some things to eat? Because we're living off the land. And he insults those emissaries. David gets so hot. He gets 400 of his men. They strap on their swords. And David says, I swear. By the time is down, the next day there will not be a person living on that estate. And this godly woman, Abigail, hears what her husband did to David and his men and she acts and she makes an appeal. And her appeal saves a lot of people's lives. Explain your convictions without condemnation. Is there a way I can get off on Sundays to go to church. Can I work extra hours? Can I work second shift? Can you do something to help me so I can go to church? Be a learner, not a know-it-all. Be a servant, not somebody demanding, and then give the alternative option. Emphasize their goals. If you help those above you get their goals met, it's going to go well for you. And then you got to leave it up to them. Whatever happens, happens. I have done my part. Give God time to work. You know, there's a proverb, verse 1 of chapter 21. Pay attention. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers, and he can turn them any way he chooses. Now, when you put the appeal in his court, he's probably going to get pressure from above him. And if he gets pressure, he's going to push that pressure down to you. Don't run from the pressure. Welcome the pressure. You say, Steve, that's the stupidest thing I've heard you say in a long time. Thank you. I do my best. Why welcome pressure? Because pressure is what builds character. Pressure is not bad. Here is a Bible verse that some of you desperately need to memorize because you're under pressure right now. Romans 5, 3 through 5. D, you got to keep a good attitude through all of it. You serve the Lord. It's going to work out. Well, Steve, what if it doesn't work out? Point number seven. There's a time you have to suffer for not doing wrong. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Christians in prison today because they love Jesus. And they're paying a horrible price. Probably more people will die for the gospel this year than ever in history. At times, a Christian may have to leave their family or leave Jesus. I was in a Muslim country a number of years ago and I was way out in the jungle and I was meeting hundreds of former Muslims who are now Christians and my friend had like nine safe camps because their families were going to kill them for turning to Jesus and my friend gave him a place to run and hide it. There comes a time in our country we may have to proclaim the gospel or let the government shut us up. And out of the 12 disciples, apostles, 11 of them were martyrs. They paid the price. And Peter said, you know, whether it's right in your eyes or our eyes to not preach, we're going to obey God. And we'll just let the chips fall where they lie. And the last one, there may come a time to die. Worship team, would you come out, please? Rather than deny the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you a story that maybe will encourage you. I've been a Christian one year. I was at Clemson University, and the Lord called me wanted me to be in a school that had a communications department and this place where Roberts in Tulsa had one. I wrote off for a catalog. They sent me an invitation to come out and visit. I went out to visit. And while I was visiting there, a weird thing happened. I was out praying one night and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Steve, this is where I want you for the next three years. It was the best three years of my life. But I had a problem. I went and told my strong-willed dad that I was planning on transferring to Old Roberts University. Man, we farmed. My dad owned several businesses and my brother and I worked for him. Our family had never really been away from that part of South Carolina and my dad was against it. He said, Steve... I know you become a Christian, but there are Christian schools around here. Why why do you have to go a thousand miles away? And it's too expensive. He gave me all these reasons why not to go. I just said, Dad, I just feel like that's where I want to go. He just said, I'm against you going. And I'm not gonna help you. I'm not gonna support you. I was in a dilemma. The Holy Spirit had whispered to me that the new faith my mom and dad were finding, that I could not jeopardize their faith because I was self-righteous and drew a line in the sand and said, I'm going to go with you or without you. I could not do that. So I asked the Lord to make a way. I want to honor my parents. I want my family to walk with Jesus. I don't want this to divide my family. And the Lord answered through a cow. We raised Herefords or white faced cattle, and I had a small little herd. And I was counting on selling these cows to pay for my first year's tuition. I came home from college one day. My mom said, your dad and brother are out at the farm with a veterinarian because one of your pride's cows is sick. She's down on the ground. I drive over there. They're trying to get this cow up with a halter. The veterinarian is trying to help her, but she had eaten some bad grass and was poisoned with something called grass tetany. I believe God could heal anybody. And after my brother, vet, dad left, I went over, laid hands on that cow, and said, Lord, I need this cow. Heal my cow in the name of Jesus. And I had full confidence he would. But the next day, she died following day, I come home from school or whatever I was doing, and I find my dad sitting in his recliner with a bag of ice on his foot. I said, what happened to you? My strong-willed dad said, your cow would get up and fall down and get up and fall down. And right before she died, she got up and she fell down on my foot and broke my toe. It was your cow that broke my toe. And I am in agony. I said, I'm sorry. Didn't know what to do. I prayed for him. But when I was at Old Roberts University for that weekend, I picked up some books on healing and miracles. And Before I went to bed at 11 o'clock that night, and my dad sitting in his chair with his ice pack on his foot, I had a thought those books were still in my suitcase. And I took them into my dad saying, well, if you can't sleep, here's some books you may want to read. I got up the next morning. I went in my dad's bedroom. He had a smile on his face. And he was finishing the fourth book. He said, Steve, something happened. (laughs) He said, my toe hurt me so bad, I could not stand it. And I would get into bed to lay down and sleep and the pain would get me up and I'd have to go back to the chair. Then I thought, well, I got these books, I got nothing else to do. So I started reading one and the pain left. And I got back into bed and the pain came back and I had to get back up and read another book. And he said, I've been reading your books all night long. And as long as I sat in the chair, reading those books, I had no pain. And I want to tell you, son, I've changed my heart. I want you to go. And you have our support and our love and our blessing." Would you take the Lord's table? I hope you all got one. This is not a religious ceremony. It's not something that just Christians do. This is a celebration. This is a recommitment. That we believe in our God Almighty who can keep us through everything. And if you're if you're following Christ, would you take the bread and put it in your hand and hold it up and just say, Lord, your body was broken for me so I could find healing and blessing and wholeness. And I take and eat right now. Then take the other side, open it. The blood of Christ is the greatest element in all the world so we would be family, so we could be forgiven, so we could be healed. Take and drink. Now the altar is open as we worship. I believe this has been a holy time. If you've not given your heart to Christ and you're watching on TV or you're here, just say, Jesus, I'm tired of running. I give you my life. Be my Savior and Lord today. I will serve you forever in Jesus' name. The altar is open. Come for ministry. Come for what you need.
1: Would you all stand as you're able to worship? We felt like we just wanted to sing scripture over everyone before we're dismissed today. And I wanted to invite you, as Pastor Steve was saying, if you feel like your family is needing extra prayer and you just want to release a prayer over your family, someone in your family needs to know the Lord or needs healing, this altar is open. And there's prayer team members that would love and be honored to pray with you. So let's just enter his presence together right now. Just continue in worship. to And a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. these Say amen, amen, and amen. I just feel like the Lord is really singing that over us. He is for you. For the last couple of days, it, the warfare has been really strong in my world. And I felt like the Lord kept saying, I am for you. I am for you, and I'm behind you. And I feel like He's saying that over you today. I am for you he is exalted over every situation in your life. So Lord, we thank you that you are victorious and that you reign and we just give you every part of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us and you are with us. We thank you for that promise that you will never leave and we love you. I pray that your presence would be with everyone in a mighty way this week that we could go out and make you known. And we pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Have a blessed day.
2: Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next steps. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.